0: This episode of the Art of Manly's podcast is brought to you in part by Mizzen in Maine. Mizzen and Maine makes dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable. They're well-tailored, so they fit comfortably and are made out of performance fabrics. They breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's the same kind of fabric that they make gym clothes out of. It's fantastic. And they're machine washable. So ditch the dry cleaner and start wearing a dress shirt that's comfortable. Visit Mizzen in Maine at www.comfortable.af or you can go to MizzeninMaine.com, take you to the same place. Use code MANLY at checkout to receive $10 off your order. Mizzen in Maine, it's never felt better to look your best. best. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. You have a goal of reading more, but anytime you start working on that goal, it feels like a chore, the equivalent of eating your broccoli. Well, my guest today argues that the problem is likely due to the fact that you're trying to read books you think you should be reading, instead of reading what you actually enjoy. His name is Alan Jacobs. He's a professor of literature and the author of The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. At the start of our conversation, Alan offers a critique of a certain approach to reading the so-called great books and makes an argument for choosing what you read based on whim with a capital W rather than following any kind of list. He then makes the case for for following that whim into reading not only books of your favorite authors but the books your favorite authors read which can actually lead you back to the great books but in a way that allows you to enjoy and appreciate them more Alan makes the case as well for the value of rereading books Alan and I then discuss tactics get more out of your reading in our age of distraction including his opinion on reading ebooks versus paper copies we also get into his take on speed reading and whether it's okay not to finish book you're not digging we enter a conversation with what parents can do to raise eager readers After the shows over check out our show notes at aom.is slash pleasures of reading Alan Jacobs, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brett. So you've written a lot of books. The book I read was about reading, the pleasures of reading in an age of distraction. And I like you start off the book and you go after a a guy who's had a big influence on reading in America. His name is Mortimer Adler. For those who aren't familiar with Mortimer, who was he? And then what's your beef with Morty and, and his <laughs> yeah. idea about reading?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, let me say Mortimer Adler was a, a great man in a lot of ways, but there's some downsides. So he was uh, a little bit of the background might actually be useful just in the sense that he was a child of, of uh, Jewish immigrants from Germany went to Columbia University sort of discovered this whole world of culture that he didn't know anything about before and became a kind of an evangelist for the great books went to the University of Chicago worked with Robert Maynard Hutchins who was the president there transformed that whole university he was incredibly energetic and dynamic and but his cause was the great books you know he wrote a book called Aristotle for Everybody he wanted everyone to be able to read those books and in that time in American history, when tiny, tiny percentage of people went to university, it was a it was a a great sell. He wrote a book called How to Read a Book. And and the subtitle of the first edition was something along the lines of how to get a liberal education. And the idea is that you you don't have to be able to go to university. You don't have to go to the University of Chicago. You can be a great reader of great books. And the problem I have with that – I mean, it's great. As far as it goes, it's great – but the problem I have with that is that Adler didn't really recognize any other way to read a book except to read a great book and to give it your full attention and to underline and annotate. And the whole thing was so strenuous, you know, and I think it it really did get a lot of people interested in reading great books, but it also wore a lot of people out. You know, they just got exhausted from the the demands that he was placing on them. And I think for some people, That's counterproductive for many people. That's counterproductive.
0: Well, and you also criticize uh, literary critic Harold Bloom for similar reasons.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bloom had the the saying, you know, why are you wasting your time on Harry Potter when you could be reading Shakespeare? And, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I've I've taught literature for most of my life. I probably wouldn't have a job if we didn't read Shakespeare. But you don't read Shakespeare every single day, and you certainly don't read the tragedies every single day. Those are incredibly demanding. You know, for the same reason you don't every night sit down and watch an Ingmar Bergman movie or 12 Years a Slave or something like that. You you have to be able to to give yourself a break from the demands of really great works of art. Great works of art ask a lot of us. And we're kidding ourselves if we think we can rise to that occasion every single day. So sometimes you ought to be reading Harry Potter (laughs) instead of reading Shakespeare because you need a break. And I think both Bloom and uh, Adler were reluctant to acknowledge that.
0: So, I mean, I guess one of the big critiques that you had against these guys was like, okay, read these specific books. Mm -hmm. And your response, okay, that's fine. Those are great books. We all recognize that. The Iliad is an amazing book. It's a great book. To yeah. a lot about. But you're saying like, well, that could also just sort of hamstring people. People might just be like, ah, I just, I can't do this. I don't want to, or it, it sort of limits your reading where you feel like you have to plow through these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're not really getting anything out of it.
1: Yeah, all, all of those things are true, right? I mean, on the one hand, it turns reading into, you know, kind of eating your broccoli. You know, that this is, uh, I've got to make sure that I'm, you know, eating healthily and I've got to make sure that I'm reading healthily. And, okay, but where where's the pleasure in that? And my book is called The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. And one of the things I want to emphasize is that it's really okay to read things that are for fun because if you're only reading, you know, in order to eat your intellectual broccoli that's going to wear on you, and after a while, you're going to say, "Ah, who needs that?" And I think that's often how people lose the habit of reading. They lose the habit of reading because they make it so strenuous and so demanding, and they don't want to read anything that's not great. And then it just becomes exhausting. And after a while, they're like, "Yeah, well, I, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, watch some Netflix or something," you know, because it's they're just they're just worn out by the stress of it all.
0: Well, so instead of just going through list, your your advice to readers is to read at whim, yeah. Um, and then you make a distinction between lowercase whim and uppercase whim, yeah. So, let's, yeah, yeah, what what's going on there?
1: Yeah. So this is I got this from the poet Randall Jarrell, who ended an essay that way: "Read at whim." And "whim" with capital W W H I M is is a kind of a principle or a policy. Let me tell you how I, I, I came onto this. What would happen is that year after year after year. So, you know, I've been a college university teacher for 35 years now, and I would have students who would come to my office and they would say, I'm about to graduate, but there's so many great things I haven't read yet. Give me a list of things to read. Give me a list of books that every educated person should have read, you know, and they come in with their notebooks and they got their pens poised over the notebook. Like, give me these things. And and i would think you're just finishing up four years of school give yourself a break you know you don't have to do this now you don't have to read according to an assignment or according to a list of approved texts you know enjoy your freedom go out there and follow your whim and by that i mean follow that which really draws your spirit and your soul and see where that takes you if it turns out that you spend a year reading Stephen King novels or something like that, that's totally fine. That's not a problem. Read your Stephen King novels, but there are also really good novels. But you know, whatever it happens to be, if, if you're reading young adult fiction for a year, read young adult fiction for a year. After a while, you're probably going to have enough of it but don't go around making your reading life a kind of means of authenticating yourself you know and as a as a serious person it's just it's just no way to live and that so i would always tell them give yourself a break don't make a list see where whim
0: takes you and so this capital whim I mean, yeah. what I think the difference between like whim, like when people think whim, they just think sort of randomness. Right. But it sounds like the whim that you're describing is it's random, but also structured at the same time in a way. Well, what happens is that there
1: is a kind of an emergent structure in a way, you know, things emerge. So here's one of the things that I will tell people. I'll say, let's say you really love Tolkien and you've read Lord of the Rings like 10 times, you know, and you're not sure you want to read the Lord of the Rings again. First of all, I I will say rereading is always a good idea. It's always a good idea. But there may be times when you think, yeah, maybe I don't need an 11th reading of the Lord of the Rings. And so I'll say, well, then let's move upstream a little bit. Why don't you ask yourself, what did Tolkien read? What did he love? If you love Tolkien's writing, what writing did Tolkien love and kind of go upstream of him and find out what he what what he read and in that way you're actually you're doing something that is really substantial. I mean you're learning about some new things, some important things, things that are really valuable, but you're also kind of following whatever it is In your spirit (laughs) that responded to Lord of the Rings, you're taking it to that, uh, you know, that next
0: level. Yeah, we do this series on the site called The Libraries of Famous Men, where yeah. we take some great, you know, person from history. It could be like we've done Bruce Lee, we've yeah. done Ernest Hemingway, we've done Theodore Roosevelt, and we look at their libraries and like the books that they read. Because I think there's a quote I read somewhere. It's like, if you really want to find out about someone you look up to, like don't read what they wrote, like read what re- what they read because that's what shaped them.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the idea and it is something in which you're you're not it's not a dry scholarly exercise. You're being drawn by something you love. You're being drawn by something that is really spoken to your heart, you know, and and you're 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 moving through that and on to a much broader terrain. And so it's a way To expand your reading and grow and deepen your mind, but without that sense of of duty of just marking things off a list. The problem with that is, I think, when you're marking things off a list, that's that's not really a sign that you want to read something. That's a sign that you want to have read something or you want to be able to say you have read something. And if that's all that matters, then, hey, just go and, and read the Wikipedia's plot summary, you know, save yourself some time.
0: Well, and the other thing about this upstream tactic of uh, expanding your reading, so say like you do like Tolkien and you start reading what he read, like eventually you're going to probably end up to one of those great books.
1: Absolutely. That's where it's going to take you there. But, but the difference is you're not reading it because – this is something on my list and I don't feel like I'm a really educated person if I haven't read this book. Instead, you're reading it because your whim with that capital W has, has taken you there. And so that way it's more integrated with who you really are as a person and what you really love. And it's less about how you want to present yourself to other people.
0: Yeah. So I've done this before this going upstream, but in a different way. So my favorite novel of all time, I've said this before on the podcast lots of times is Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove. Yeah, And then I started reading his like, I've read that thing like five times, but then I was like, I got to read the prequels. So I started reading like, you know, uh, Dead Man's Walk and uh, Comanche Moon. And then I started learning about the, I was like, these Comanche Indians, this is, I didn't know about this. And so I was like, I went on Amazon and just started books about Comanche Indians. And that's how I discovered uh, Empire of the Summer Moon. Fantastic yeah. book. It was a, yeah. one of the best books I've read.
1: Right. But but you wouldn't have ever you wouldn't have discovered it if you hadn't been actually reading at whim, right? You were not um, thinking, oh let me see, I've read this Larry Mercury book, now I have, need to read all the other books that were well reviewed that year, you know. Instead, you were following up something that was really drawing you on. In a, in a way, you're just obeying your own curiosity and that's a much better guide to reading than having a list that somebody else has given you.
0: So we've talked about Harold Bloom how he's very stringent about his idea of what reading should look like but you've in, the, in your book you talk about other literary giants who kind of agreed with your advice about reading at whim.
1: Yeah. You know, my favorite writer and the writer that I've come back to more than any other over the years is the poet W H Auden. And he has he actually, I think, was reading an essay of his that kind of set me off down this path because he says in one of his um in one of his essays that masterpieces, great masterpieces are for the high holy days of the spirit. You know, they're not for every day in the in exactly the same way that you would not eat a seven course French meal every night. Uh, you don't read a great masterpiece every day. You, you save it for those times when you are kind of morally and spiritually and emotionally prepared for it. And that, that was really the thing that set me off down this, this little path.
0: And then another person you've written about a lot, written a biography about him, C.S. Lewis, had this very idea of kind of whim, following your following whim where it takes you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the way that that often expressed itself in Lewis is following the desire to reread something all of his favorite books he read over and over and over again and in fact he felt so strongly the love of rereading that he would say sometimes i have to ration myself and not allow myself another rereading yet <laughs> you know i, I got to wait a few more months before i can reread this again and and lewis felt that that was it was i mean lewis was incredibly widely read but for someone who read as widely as he did, he, he it's surprising how often he emphasized the value of returning over and over again to the same books if those books are ones that really nourish your
0: your heart and soul. And when one of those things that sort of inadvertent consequences of like book lists is that it discourages rereadings. People are like, well, I don't have time to reread. I got to get to the exactly. next, next one here
1: exactly that's and again that's wanting to have read that's wanting not not to read but to have read you can say look here are, here's the list here's how many books i read in 2019 you know and okay but you know maybe maybe if instead of reading you know, 123 books in 2019, you know, what if you had read seven books, but you read each of them three times? You know, you might actually be way better off, you know, if you chose those books well, you might actually have had a more intellectually nourishing year. Then you know you're you're reading your 123 books. I think when people get locked into that, I, I try to gently suggest. I mean, when I say locked in, I mean locked into that idea of getting through a certain number of books. That's a terrible phrase. If you love reading, by the way, getting through. You know, and I don't want to get through it. I want to enjoy it. I want to relish it. But if you're thinking in terms of getting through books. I, I will gently suggest maybe you should reconsider your life choices <laughs> a bit. You know, like what what is it? What are you chasing? You know, what is it that's 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 flogging you? <laughs> something is something is 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 driving you in a way that doesn't seem altogether healthy to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I read that many books, but it's because it's like my job, right, to prepare yeah. for a podcast. So I mean, I have to crank through like a book, two books a week. But then I also have like my pleasure reading that I do. Right, and it's not right. that many. And I, I, I don't know. It's like, so yeah, whenever I, I tell, I, I always post them like, hey, i read this many books, here are my favorites. People are like, oh, how do you do it? And it's like, well, it's my job. It's like, you wouldn't ask right. a plumber, like, how do you fix 120 <laughs> toilets in a year? You know, I can yeah, only, right. so oh, that's my job, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. Same thing for me, right, as a teacher. I, I mean, I'm I'm teaching classes right now that I've never taught before. Some of the stuff I've read before, some of the stuff I haven't. But those kind of demands are, uh, you know, my job and your job are kind of interesting in this regard because we don't we can't just read it to get through it. We have to read it well enough that we can talk to other people about it and not make fools of ourselves, you know? <laughs> right. And so that's that's a that's a bit of pressure on us, but that's not bad pressure, right? I mean, it's kind of forces you to be attentive in ways that ultimately make reading that book more rewarding than it would be if you were just trying to get from the first page to the last page as fast as you can.
0: One idea I came across, I don't know where I saw it at, but I I really liked the idea about rereading books is someone talked about creating a liturgical calendar for your reading. So there's like certain seasons, like you're going to like during the winter, you're going to read this book or during the fall, you're going to read. And I really like that idea
1: yeah it's interesting. I think i I'm not sure that's whimmy enough for me, you know I mean, like what if I don't feel like doing it then? Sure. You know, what if I feel like doing something else but but I, I I'm willing to give in on that just a little bit simply because the the value of rereading is so rarely acknowledged that anytime people are acknowledging that, I'm hundred percent in favor.
0: Well, what do you think the value of rereading is?
1: well there's a lot. I mean, first of all, if 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 it's a really if it's a really worthwhile book and and books can be worthwhile in a thousand different ways. You're you're never going to get everything important out of it on a first reading. But then in addition to that, you go through different stages of life and in those different stages of life books speak to you in dramatically different ways. I remember once I used to teach Tolstoy's Anna Karenina almost every year. And one year I was reading it, and I came across a passage which totally knocked me out. And I couldn't even remember having read it before. I'd like taught the book six or seven times, and I had completely passed over This particular passage, and it's a passage where one of the two protagonists, a man named Constantine Levin, his wife Kitty has just given birth to their first child. And he picks up his newborn son, and the first thing he thinks is, now the world has so many ways to hurt me. And it's just an incredibly powerful scene. Why didn't I notice it before? Because I hadn't had children before. <laughs> it was as soon as my son was born, I saw that passage in a way. That you know, it it had been irrelevant to me before because it was so disconnected from my experience. At that point, I thought to myself, "What's wrong with you that you didn't notice this? Did you have to have a child in order to understand how emotionally overwhelming it is to have a child?" I guess so. So I learned something about myself there. I learned about the things that I was paying attention to and not paying attention to. And you sort of go back when you when I go back to books, especially books that I teach, because if it's a book that I teach, I write a lot in the margins. And it's really kind of funny to look at my history as a reader. I'll look back and I'll think, "That's stupid. Why did you say that? You don't know. You didn't know what you're talking about." I'm arguing with my earlier self, you know. But sometimes my earlier self noticed something that I wasn't noticing, and I'm thankful for that. So it's a it's a, rereading a book is kind of an exercise in self understanding as well as an exercise in better understanding of the book.
0: We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. So one of the complaints I get about the podcast is that we feature so many great authors, so many great books. We've added so many books to people's to-read list. They don't have enough time to get through them all. Well, let me introduce you to Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes so you can read or listen to on your phone, tablet, or web browser while you're on your commute, during your lunch break, or while you exercise. Now, this is nonfiction. They're not condensing things like War and Peace or Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics or other great works of fiction. This is nonfiction nonfiction books, business books, pop you know, pop psychology books, books that are written away where you could skim read these if you wanted. Blinkist just does that and puts you into a format that you can consume and digest quickly. A lot of the books they have on Blinkist we've had on the podcast, we feature on the podcast, David Allen's Getting Things Done, Tim Ferriss's books, Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, and many more. Go check it out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books for one low price. And for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for my audience. Go to blinkist.com/art a r t. Try it for free for seven days and save twenty five percent off your new subscription. That's blinkist.com/art b l i n k i s t dot art to start your free seven day trial and save twenty five percent. Sign up now at blinkist.com/art. Go check it out today. Thanks in large part to their patented ballpark pouch, Saks Underwear will change your expectations for what a great pair of underwear should feel like. Here's what the ballpark pouch is. It's these internal mesh panels that keep everything in place down there. No more chafing, no more sticking. Super comfortable. The fabric they use on Saks Underwear is super soft, moisture wicking, lets everything breathe down there, even repels BO. My go-to for a long time has been the Kinetic Boxer Brief. They got a new one called the Kinetic HD. It's the same sort of thing, Boxer Brief. Great for people who do like long-distance running, cardio. They got the flat-out seam, which reduces Itching down there? So check that out. The Kinetic HD, very comfortable. Also got the ballpark pouch, and I've got a good deal for my listeners. I've worked out the deal with Sax underwear on a great limited time deal for you. Right now, you can save 10% and get free shipping on a pair of Sacks just by going to my special URL, slash aom Order a few pairs of Sacks now with this great offer. Go to S A X X Underwear.com/aoM. That's Sacks with two X's. Check it out. Check out the Kinetic boxer brief. slash aom for 10% off and free shipping. Go do it today. And now back to the show. So another way, well, I was, I was, as you're talking about reading about WIM, one of the ways that I've found to inject WIM into my reading is actually going into a bookstore, which is becoming less frequent because people go on Amazon and like Amazon gives you these recommendations, but they're all algorithm based. Yep, so it, it seems mm-hmm. like WIM, but you know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. Amazon, Jeff Bezos has figured out like what I want to read. So it doesn't feel serendipitous. But I love going into a bookstore, like a Barnes and Noble, or even better, like a used bookstore.
1: I know, yeah. That's the best feeling in the world. Because you have no idea what you're going to find. Yeah, and that's the really cool thing. I read just this morning, I read an article in the Guardian of London about a bookstore in London it's an independent bookstore and they started offering um, a few years ago this service you can call them on the phone or you can come in or to the store or you can even do this online and you tell them what are your favorite books what are the books that you know have are most important to you what are the books that you've read, read reread the most often they just kind of get, get a little profile of you as a reader and then what they do is they you can sign up you can subscribe for a package and according to how much, you know, which package you subscribe to, they send you books in the mail and they wrap each book individually as a gift. They're like It's their recommendations for you based on what you've told them about yourself as a reader. And you can subscribe so you get, you know, six paperbacks or you can get a dozen hardbacks or, you know, you, you decide what it's going to be, but they mail them to you and they're wrapped up as gifts. So you actually don't know until you unwrap the little package. What's gonna be in there? And I think that's so terrific. It's anti-algorithm, you know? It's all based on people who've read a lot of books, who listen to you, how you describe yourself, and then make a decision for you. And this bookstore was really struggling until they started offering this particular service. And it's just absolutely taken off. And and because part of it is you know, it, the personal character of it. But another part of it is you're getting wrapped up gifts in the mail. You know, what's cooler oh, yeah. than that, you know?
0: People love getting stuff in the mail. Oh, yeah. So, okay, let's this idea of whim. It's not just like read randomly, like read what gives you pleasure. I like the idea of going upstream, uh, maybe digging into a topic. So, I mean, if there, you read a, a novel, but you come across a, a nonfiction idea, like mind that like just go yeah. different directions. And also I want to make clear I think you're not you're not saying like don't read the you know quote-unquote great books. That's but you right. don't have to do it all the, you don't have to make your diet all that all the time. That's right. Doesn't have to be that
1: all the time. And then if you come to them because you're genuinely interested in what they have to offer rather than because you're trying to cross them off a list. Or, you know, if you say, you know what, I know this book is going to be a challenge. I know this book is going to be hard for me, but that's what I want right now. I want a challenge. That's totally great. That's totally great. It's the crossing the books off the list that is the death of pleasure in reading. That's the thing I most want to warn people away from.
0: Gotcha, and it might be the case you you start enjoying reading, like the great books, have become your thing. Like that, that yeah. might be your whim.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly that may be where it takes you. And I actually think that eventually, that's you know, if you say you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a year and I'm not going to read anything except thrillers and um, you know mystery novels or whatever your kind of genre fiction thing is. I, again, I think for a season in your life, that's totally great. But I bet. There's gonna be a time where you will say, you know what? I think I've done enough of this. I, I think I need something that's, you know, a little more meaty, something I can really chew on, you know, not just pure carbs, right? <laughs> but something that's uh that that's more substantial. And 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 at that point, you'll be moving towards more challenging and more difficult books, not because you're trying to impress somebody else, but because that's the food you know you need and when you do follow whim in the in the right sense of the word that's what you do you get you learn better what it is that you need as a reader what what it, what is it that feeds your heart and your soul and your mind and if you if you don't if, if you don't read at whim but you only read according to a list you'll never find that out there'll be really important things about yourself that you will never know
0: this okay speaking of great books this sounds platonic right plato is all about you know follow like love love will eventually lead you to the good right
1: yeah yeah but of course he he also knows that there are people who who don't understand that and who will continue to try to pursue the most grossly physical plato wasn't big on the physical the most grossly physical kinds of love and 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 they won't rise they won't look for something better and you know if that's the way you are if you find yourself you know over and over and over again just reading the stuff that isn't substantive that's just kind of the 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 cheap calories you know then maybe it's time to st- step back a bit and say why why am I like that? Why, you know, what is it that's preventing me from trying something that's more challenging? But again, that's a product of self-reflection, and that's what Plato wants, right? He wants Socrates is always pushing people towards that self-reflection. So Wim with the capital W is actually not as you said earlier Brett it's not random whim is something that will lead you to self-reflection and a better understanding of who you are as a reader and who you really want to be
0: yeah you you have to yeah you have to know what you like and a lot of people don't know what they like
1: right that's right and and for a lot of people you know they they allow their i mean this is especially easy when you're in a world of social media And then also algorithmic recommendations of the kind you mentioned earlier, the algorithmic recommendations you get from Amazon especially, they don't know what they like because they're never pausing to think, what do I really want? Instead, they're just responding to whatever the world is putting right in front of them and when you do that you can kind of get out of the habit of making your own decisions and you can get out of the habit of self knowledge and in that way i think you you're just always you're on a treadmill at that point you're trying to catch up with all the other all the things that other people are talking about and you're losing your ability to form your
0: own soul yeah and if you feel like that someone you can go to a book to find answers on how to deal with that Walt Whitman, Henry David Thoreau, Emerson, like they wrote about these ideas of (laughs) knowing what what you like, what you love in life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you may think you know what self-reliance is, but if you read Emerson on self-reliance, it's a completely different thing than than most of us think self-reliance is.
0: Yeah. So we've talked about, so this idea of just make reading pleasurable again. Don't yeah. make it something that you beat yourself up with, like a hair shirt, shirt you put on. Um, right. So let's talk about this idea of reading in the age of distraction. Because that's another complaint that people have is not only, okay, reading just seems like a hard thing. I feel like I'd read these books. The other thing is, well, how do I find the, like the mental space to read when there's so many things distracting me. Right. So that we've, people have developed tech tactics or techniques that allow them the, to you know read more deeply. And one thing you talk about in, in your book is eBooks. Yeah. What's your take on eBooks? Do they, do you think they help or hinder reading, make it more distracting, better? What What say you?
1: Yeah. So my, my history with that is kind of interesting in the, um, I was a pretty early adopter of Twitter. I got on Twitter in 2007 and really made some friends there and connected with that. I, I've, I, I deleted Facebook the same month that I started Twitter, so I've never been in the Facebook world. But with that, plus you know, just all the things that were always coming across my computer, even though I was a professor of literature, I started noticing how my attention span was shortening it was getting worse and worse and i was more and more inclined to turn aside and to see what was happening online all the content farms are just you know recycling stuff like crazy and i was really starting to worry about myself and around that time because i'm just interested in technology in general i decided i would buy a kindle it was one of the first one of the first kindles and what i found was that for me the Kindle was enormously helpful. I'd gotten sort of addicted to screens, and it was a screen. I got sort of addicted to you know tapping things with my fingers and thumbs, and this had a you know I could click my thumb, and and turn the pages, and the Kindle really helped me to get my concentration back. And the, but the main thing there, it is it is a screen, and you do use your thumbs to turn the pages, but. It really isn't good for anything else. I mean, there's a rudimentary web browser on the Kindle, but it's terrible. Anybody who's tried it knows that you can't do anything with it. And so it it doesn't distract me. It's not always offering me something else. I can't read that way if I'm on my, my phone or an iPad or my computer because, you know, in the back of my mind, I always know. I'm two taps or two clicks away from looking at somebody's Instagram feed. The Kindle was really good for me in helping me to get back into reading and being able to pay attention for a long period of time. So I don't read on the Kindle as much as I did, but for that season of my life, it was incredibly helpful to me.
0: What kind of books would you read? Did you find yourself like gravitating to certain kind of books that you read on the Kindle?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, mainly I would read things that I didn't feel I needed to mark up. Right. So I I couldn't, I, I don't think if if my life depended on it, I could teach from a Kindle version of a book. You know, teaching is all for me is all about having that page that's marked up. There's also a really big a really important thing when you're teaching the kind of books that I teach, and I do kind of work in a sort of a great books environment, part at least part of the time, you know, when you have a book in your hand and, and I'll say, okay, turn to page 69 and then we'll read something on 69. I'll say, okay, now keep your finger there and let's go over to page 221. And then we look at that, and we compare the two. You you really can't do that on a Kindle. It's almost impossible. Whereas it's easy as pie on a, a, a in a Codex book. So when when it's when I don't need to mark something up, that I will read the Kindle. Sometimes um, a lot often that's pleasure reading, but sometimes I'll actually know that I need to teach a book, and I will actually buy both. The Codex version and the Kindle version, and the first time through, I'll just read the Kindle version just to give me a kind of a you know a a first read through, and then that helps me when I turn to the Codex to the paper book to know how to annotate it better.
0: Yeah, so so the Kindle kind of can eliminate whim a bit. I, I like that idea where, you know, you, with a paperback book, you can, you know, go to one place they go back. What I love about books is you can just like, I can go, I have, you know, my shelf full of books. I can just grab a random book and just open it to a random place and read yeah. something. I can't do that yeah. with a Kindle.
1: Now, now, I mean, it's, there's a lot more clicks involved with that, right? That's also one of the things that I tell my students sometimes when they're not sure they're going to do research for a topic and they're not really sure exactly what they need I tell them, look, don't don't go to the library's webpage and search that way. You know, or or if you do, only do it for the very first book or the very first article on your list. Once you've got that, Go to the library because what you're going to do, you go to pick a book off the shelf and and look at the five books to the left of it and look at the five books to the right of it and look at the books just above and just below. You're actually getting this really rich context for all the things that people might write about this particular subject, and that's almost impossible to replicate online. So when students are really trying to generate ideas, I tell them, go to the library, don't, you know, don't just look it up on your
0: laptop. Go to the library. So you mentioned one of the downsides of a Kindle is you can't really, it's hard, to, you, you can highlight things in Kindle, but that's yeah, about yeah. it. Um, yeah. so you have a whole section, which I love. I love when people talk about how their sort of systems they develop to annotating and marginalia and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Because what I love about that, it's, it allows you, when you write in a book, it allows you to have a dialogue with the writer. Yep.
1: Yep. You have the dialogue with the writer. And then, as I said, if you go back, and read that book again later, you can have that dialogue with your earlier self as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so I like to, uh, you know, I don't, but, so if, if, if all you can do in a Kindle is, is highlight, and and one thing about highlighting is that there's a lot of research on this that highlighting does not aid retention. It does not help your memory. It's There's no difference between people who highlight and people who make no highlights at all in terms of what they remember later on. Now, I might highlight sometimes because it makes it faster for me when I'm in class to find the passage that I want to read out loud. But but when I'm actually reading and interacting with the book, you know, it's just I I have my little syntax. You know, if I think a passage is really brilliant, I will star put a star next to it. If I think the passage is really interesting, but I'm not sure what I think about it, or it's a surprising idea. I'll put an exclamation point. If I, if I doubt that what the person says is right, I'll put a question mark. And if I'm absolutely convinced the person is wrong, I put BS <laughs> next to it, <laughs> right? And just that, that kind of, cont- and then sometimes I'll go back later on and I'll change my mind. And I'll say, no, that shouldn't have been an exclamation point. That should have been a question mark, you know, something like that.
0: Do you like write questions out, like write things in your margins, like sentences? Is that something you do?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, And But I do that much more often when I know I'm going to have to teach something or I'm going to have to write about it. And of course, not all books really make room for that. So I keep sticky notes around, and when I have something a little longer to write, I'll write it on the sticky note and then put it on the relevant page. And that's also good because those are easy to find. You know, I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't think this was a passage that I really needed to think about. So it helps me to go back and discover the most important passages.
0: And do you do this, like, if you're reading a Stephen King novel?
1: No, 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 no. Yeah. no. I, it, when I'm reading something, when I'm reading a novel, you know, just for fun or just for just for my own personal satisfaction, I'll do that more often than not on the Kindle. And then, you know, if there's a really interesting passage, I will, I'll highlight it and then I can go back and look at it later on. But that's not the main way that I'm engaging with that story. I really want to be absorbed in the story. And every time you stop to make a note, you're kind of lifting yourself out of the story a little bit. And that's not the best thing for,
0: for many novels. Well, speaking of the Kindle highlight feature, one thing that bugs me, and you talk about this in the books I'm glad you did was that they had that feature where it'll show while you're reading on your Kindle it'll show you like passages that were highlighted the most. Yeah. And it, drives I, I, it drives me crazy. It drives me cuz like you just ruined it. Like now I now I yeah. think oh I, this is important and if, <laughs> if it wasn't there I probably wouldn't have think it was that important.
1: Right. Right. Oh but here's here's the one thing when you do when you look at that you know popular highlights in any book all of the popular highlights are in the first fifteen. Pages. Yes,
0: it's hilarious. <laughs> After
1: that, nobody's commenting on anything.
0: You can see when people gave up.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, so another tactic people have developed when they had, so they had this idea: okay, I'm super distracted. I don't have much time to read. I got to get through this list of books. People talk about: I got oh, if I learn how to speed read, this this will get uh, me through. What do you think about speed reading?
1: Well, first of all, sp- speed reading really doesn't work. Not the way that people think that it does there are there's a lot of studies on this there are just simply limitations on how our eyes work you know our ability to scan particular passages of text that that mean that you really can't speed it up that much but even if it did work i'm not sure it's the best way for people to do what they need what they need to do cuz look i've been in that situation many times too where i have to get a quick grasp on something. Um, I don't have time to sit down with my pencil in my hand and annotate carefully. I mean, sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day. So when I'm in that situation, let's say it's an article. It's a long, kind of complicated article on a you know a difficult subject. And I'm not sure what exactly is in it. I'm not sure how important it's going to be. Speed reading actually would be a lousy way to address that problem. What I do in a case like that, and I think a lot of scholarly readers do the same thing, I'll, go to, I'll read the first paragraph of the article carefully. Then I'll read the last paragraph of the article carefully. And on the basis of that, I have some idea of what's going on in it. If I, if, if I realize – sometimes at that point I say, oh, I don't need to pursue this any further. It's not going to give me what I want. But I found that out a lot quicker than I would by speed reading. But if after reading the first paragraph and the last paragraph, I think I still need to look into this some more, I go through – I go back to the second paragraph, and I read the first sentence of it. Then I read the first sentence of the paragraph after that. And and in that way, what I'm doing is I'm starting at 40,000 feet, and then I'm coming down to 20,000 feet. And then ultimately, if I see, oh, this thing is really valuable, then I stop and I go through the whole thing. Or if I don't have time to do that, I make a note, this is something I need to come back to and read carefully. But right now, I'm just getting the main points. And that is actually a much more efficient and useful way to get hold of something in a short period of time than speed reading because I'm getting the structure of the argument rather than just treating every word as being the same value as every other word.
0: Well, this is actually, that's a tactic from Mortimer Adler. I mean, we, so we kind of, we, we kind of dogged on at the beginning, but but you say, no, look, his his book, how to read a book, which I think everyone should read it. I think it's some really useful information there, but he kind of tells you how different ways you can read a book that can allow you to do things like that you do.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's it's not that he doesn't give good advice. It's just that he only has one kind of reading in mind and it he tends to leave out the many kinds of reading that are rewarding and and above all pleasurable that don't really lend themselves to that sort of model. But if you really do have to know something, you know, in a short period of time, Adler is actually a much better guide for you than speed than any speed reading program would be.
0: Yeah, I've, I've kind of developed my own tactics for reading different kinds of books because you start recognizing different kinds of books have different types of formats and certain formats are conducive to certain types of reading. So like, you know, if I'm reading a fiction book, no, like I don't skim that at all. Like, yeah, I'm going to read that. I'm going to savor it. Like a hard work of philosophy I'm going to go through that, take my time. But if it's like one of those pop psychology, pop business right. books, like right. here's the format on those things. They, they, it's, it's, it's a cookie cutter. What you do is you start off with a principle and then mm-hmm. you start off with a, an antidote where someone like, you know, a story is highlighting and then like there's bullet points and that's it. And so you can, you can just skim those things. I know I can skip the antidote. Yeah. You yeah. can just get to the principles.
1: Yep, yep, rinse and repeat, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's how they're put together and, you know, there's a reason for that. The publishing industry knows that that's the sort of thing that works, but you don't have to read it in the way that it's written. You can read it in the way that works for you.
0: Yeah, so yeah, and all, another thing too. Once you start reading those books, you realize they all talk about the marshmallow experiment. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, yeah. And so yeah, you I know. you just Different gratification.
0: Or, yeah. right? Or the gorilla, the invisible gorilla, like the,
1: the gorilla that nobody sees right. bouncing the basketballs. So, yeah, yeah. Once yeah. you
0: once you know those, like if you know those, you can just like skip through that. <laughs> okay, yeah,
1: there's like four. There's the Stanley Milgram obedience to authority right. experiments. There's the uh, Stanford prison experiment. You know, yeah, it's about five experiments. <laughs> yeah, it's in every one of those books.
0: I thought about <laughs> writing a book where it's like. Like all the experiments you need to know to like get through any business pop psychology <laughs> right, book as right. quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So yeah, so yeah you don't have to read every book the same and you can you can skim stuff if you want if you think it's conducive. What's your take about uh, finishing or not finishing books?
1: Yeah, that's that's a funny thing because when I was up until I was maybe in my early 20s, I I finished every book that I started. And it was, uh, at one point, I I was reading a book, a novel by William Gaddis called The Recognitions, and it's over a thousand pages long. And I was just flogging myself through this book. I just, I mean, I wasn't getting it. I really probably wasn't the right reader for that book, especially at that time in my life. And I was just so miserable, but I was like, but I have to finish. I have to finish. But I couldn't read anything else because this thing was like the albatross around my neck. And I remember getting to page 666, the mark of the beast, you know. <laughs> and I thought, the hell with this thing. <laughs> I'm good. I'm not gonna finish it. And it was like one of the most liberating moments of my life, you know, because I realized, no, I gave it a good shot. And I, I gave it more than a good shot. There was no value added for me. In flogging myself all the way to the end of this thing, it's totally fine if I set it aside. And, you know, I have a friend, Austin Cleon, the guy who wrote uh, Steal Like an Artist and um, Show Your Work and Keep Going. And Austin's a big fan of setting aside books that he just, they're just not doing anything for him. And I love the way he talks about it. He says, What he tells people when he sets a book aside like that, he said, yeah, that one's not for me. He's not saying it's a bad book. He's not saying it's a useless book. He's just saying, yeah, I'm probably not the right reader for that book. That one's not really for me. And uh, I really like that attitude, you know, because not everything is going to be for me. Not everything is going to be for you. There are some things that we're just not going to be able to get our heads around, even if everybody
0: else likes it. It's just not for me. And that's okay. Yeah. So I'm a, I've always been like a big finisher of books too. Cause I'm always like, maybe there's, there's might be some gym. Yeah. One (laughs) single gym. If I keep, but then I've, lately I've gotten to the point where I just like, I don't, I give up on books. Like, um, I'm a member, I'm a member of a great books book club here in my town, but our policy is like, you know, read it. But if like, it's not doing anything for you, just Give up, and then we talk about like why you gave up on it. Like what? That's great. What was it? So I had to do that with we we, we were in Erasmus and Martin Luther's debate about free will.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> and yeah. I I had to give up on that, and I <laughs> yeah. just I couldn't finish it. I I tried, and I'm like, no, I can't. I can't do it.
1: Yeah, but that's great, right? If you didn't talk about why, like what is it that I what was it that I couldn't get into? What was impeding me? What was getting in my way? You learn something about yourself as a reader, but you also learn something about that book. Maybe you learn something in that case about just how differently people did arguments, made arguments in the 16th century than we make arguments today. You know, I mean, there's a lot to be learned from understanding why something was not for you.
0: Yeah. And we had to give up a book. So we read books to our kids. But well, speaking of like just sort of savoring books, reading books out loud yeah. is a whole different reading experience. Oh, it is. So we we started reading The Secret Garden last year. Correct. And like we tried to get through, but then like we were almost like a quarter left and we just couldn't do it anymore. Cause it was yeah. just, it was all about, you know, Oh, Dickon, Dickon's such a great boy. And like, mm-hmm. it'd be like a chapter about a sprout growing. And we just like, no, <laughs> we can't do it. Yeah. So we, we, we just gave up. And my, it was funny. My, my, my daughter like picked it up and threw it in disgust, <laughs> And uh, we switched over. We, uh, John Bellairs. We we're really into his, mm, his series yeah. of books. We've been liking that.
1: Yeah. That's great. I love, you know, when I was a kid, I, I grew up I grew up in a weird house in that you know nobody in my family had even graduated from high school but we were everybody was a reader and you know, they mainly read pulp fiction you know so, so my our house was just full of books Thousands of books, but they were all like science fiction, mysteries, westerns, romances. You know, my mom mom read the romances, my grandmother read mysteries, my father read science fiction and westerns, and the house was just full of those things. And I started picking those up when I was like four or five years old, and I kind of went straight from Dr. Seuss to Louis L'Amour and Robert A. Heinlein. You know, and and um and I didn't read any. Of the children's classics, and so when, when our son was born, that was such a great thing for me because all of those books that I never read when I was a kid, I was able to read to him. And it, it was, uh, I think it was he liked it, but I think I liked it more than he did.
0: Yeah, reading kids' books as an adult that's an interesting reading experience as well.
1: It really is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. This is just kind of a random thing, but I had a friend whose son he was actually, um my son's best friend when they were little. And he was a really bright young man or boy. He was really bright boy, but he he couldn't learn to read. And he he was getting into second grade. He couldn't read at all. And his parents were, this doesn't make any sense. He does he's not dyslexic. He doesn't have any of the the usual, you know, the common issues. What's the deal? And at some point a teacher said, you know, I think he can read. I think you need to talk to him, and so they sat him down and they talked to him, and he tearfully confessed that he did indeed know how to read. Well, then why why won't you read? They said, "What's the problem?" He said, well, "If I re- if I read on my own, then you won't read books to me anymore."
0: <laughs> oh man, that's sad.
1: And and then the, they said, "No, no, no. We'll read books to you. <laughs> you know, we'll read them until you're 21, if that's what you want. You know." And then he was okay, but he really thought. That once you learn to read for yourself, then you weren't allowed to be read to anymore. And they just had no idea he was thinking that.
0: Well, speaking of, you know, a lot of parents are, you know, they want to raise readers. But like this idea of reading at whim, like inculcating that in yourself so your kids see that and they see that reading is just something fun they do. And like let them read what they want to read. I mean, within right. reason. I mean, you know what? You know what no within one. reason. But, you know, right. if they want to read Captain Underpants, like my right. my kid, my son, he's like nine. He's like, he's into those little graphic novel type things. Loves them. But he just he's reading all the time. I'm like, hey, great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, uh, my son was really big in horrible histories. That was well uh, one of his uh, big things when he was when he was little, and and that's totally fine, right? What a lot of this is a, a, a really important thing to think about here is that what do you want your kids to associate reading with? Do you want them to associate it with drudgery and pain and just being flogged basically to to do this? Or do you want them to associate it with pleasure and delight and humor? If they associate it with pleasure and delight and humor, they're much more likely to be readers as adults, and that when they're when they get to the point where they're ready to uh, pursue something that is more interesting, a little deeper, a little wiser, a little more challenging, they'll be prepared to do that. They won't be afraid to do that because they have positive associations with reading. I think we do a lot of damage when we overly police our kids' reading to try to make sure that they're only reading really, really worthwhile things because then it does become, for them, the same as eating their broccoli, and that's not a great idea.
0: Well, speaking of kids, do you think readers are born or made? Or is it both?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's some of both. I mean, I think that there are some people for whom, you know, reading is... As uh, as Steven Pinker says in one of his books, you know, language is is hardwired, but reading is bolted on, and I think that's true. And sometimes, you know, that's a kind of an awkward connection. And there are some people who are just not cognitively wired to process reading; it's just difficult for them, and that's totally fine, right? I mean, a lot of these people are fantastic at other things that are equally. Uh, intellectually challenging, you know, it's totally fine. But if you are capable of processing it, you know, if you've got that kind of, you know, that your mind works that way, then I think the most important thing is, you know, what are the examples that you see as you're growing up? And so, you know, I am a reader now because my parent, and I'm a, you know, a college professor now because my parents who did not even have a high school education read all the time and it just it it seemed normal to me that the, the really funny thing by the way is that the TV was on in our house like 24 hours a day my dad would never allow the television to be turned off i remember one time we went on vacation and he left the television on when we were away on vacation but nobody looked at it it was just kind of background noise you know it was like white noise in the background everybody was reading and that seemed normal to me and because it seemed normal to me, I developed the habit myself and it's lasted me a lifetime.
0: Well, Alan, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and the rest of your work?
1: Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, I my website is ajayjay.org and that contains links to all of the books and places where you may buy them and things like that. And I'm also on Twitter as AJ, A-Y-J-A-Y.
0: Fantastic. Well, Alan Jacobs, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been great, Brett. Thanks.
0: My guest name is Alan Jacobs. He's the author of the book, The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash pleasures of reading, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the a Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles rewritten over the years. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the a Win Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout to get a free month trial of Stitcher Premium. And then you can download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and start enjoying ad-free episodes of the a Win Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. or Stitcher helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you would think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay. You might not only listen to the U.N. Podcast, but put what you've heard into action.